Hi, I'm Jane Stahl, retired high school English teacher and director of community relations at Studio B Fine Art Gallery in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And this is the Be Inspired podcast. My guest and I hope that in the few minutes you spend with us, you'll be surprised and delighted to meet someone new, become aware of projects going on in your neighborhood, and maybe entertain a new way to look at the world. Look, we all need to keep our spirits up in these challenging times, and I can't think of a better way to lift up our spirits than to meet interesting, passionate folks and learn about what they're doing to make life better for all of us. And so, join me now for the Be Inspired podcast. Hello, Dan. Hello, Dan. Hi there, Jane. How are you? Uh, Studio B audience, I just want you to know we are uh, having a conversation today with Dan Duffy. And um, I was so impressed with Dan's book that I purchased a couple of years ago in Rockport, Massachusetts at a book signing that my friend Sandra Williams took me to. But uh, Dan at that um, book signing read a portion of his book and I purchased purchased it at that time. It's called Brother, Brother. And finally, Dan, I'm a little embarrassed to say, but finally, Dan, I had a chance to read it and was just, I just loved it. I just loved it. But can you tell the audience just a little bit about Brother, Brother before we go on? Sure, sure. And thank you for the opportunity to share my my writing journey with your uh, listeners, Jane. Um, yeah, I would say that um, my memoir is a recollection, uh, fragments of some distant memories of my older brother, uh, Rich's life, and our shared um, 18 years that we had um, experiencing it, and also um, some of my mental images of his Vietnam and post-Vietnam experiences And what I realized, and this was uh, directly the result of feedback from other writers in a writer's group, um, I always thought this story was about my brother, but uh, I came to realize that an important outcome of my writing was that although my brother was the focus of my story, it was really about the impact of his life on mine. And that was an aha experience for me. For sure. For sure, so much of yourself comes through in this. And as I said to you, or in my review and with you, I mean, it was just so powerful um, reading about your early life and what you went through, you and your brother went through. (laughs) I mean, and then realizing that I had met you, I had visited your absolutely beautiful B&B in Rockport, Massachusetts. I mean, so much. It was just such a wonderful experience. I'm so very happy to be talking to you today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, no, that's great. Yeah. But you're um, in, in, in your book, you know, um, y- y- your brother disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what it is, is... Um, My brother uh, was a Marine, 
mm-hmm. and went uh, to Vietnam, uh, you know, for a year. And the brother that I knew who left for Vietnam really wasn't the same when he came home in the spring of 69. While in the war, um, his wife of two years left him. So I guess he got a Dear John letter. And he returned like so many other young soldiers with undiagnosed PTSD syndrome. Yep. I remember uh, seeing a little card from the uh, VA saying nervous condition. Well, if my brother put his hand out, you know, you could see it visibly shaking. And um, that summer of 69 was really, you know, such a tumultuous time in America, you know, Uh, in sure. terms of peace, peace marches and, 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 you know, everything else. But it was pivotal for my brother. So what he did is he, he shed this former self because I think he couldn't relate to, you know, the self that he was before he left. It had changed, you know, he had changed so much. And he had embraced the life of what I would call child. So what he did was he took an army blanket we had, cut a hole in the middle, put that over his head (laughs) and tied it with a rope belt and wore sandals. And he read from his Bible to whomever would listen, you know, and that's how he kind of, um, you know, defined, defined himself. Um, And so what, um, then that was in the summer of 69. Then in the fall of 69, um, he and several kindred spirits embarked on an adventure of driving cross country from the Jersey shore to Corrales, New Mexico. Their idea was to form a commune. So there were about eight or nine of them that ultimately ended up out there. And the mystery and the heartache of Rich's disappearance began for me and my family on a day in December of 70, when my mom got a postcard that was rather cryptic, and it was signed from someone, she only called herself D. And she basically wrote, Rich and I went to the Rio Grande, took LSD, and when I woke up, he was gone. And that was 50 years ago, and that was actually the last he was ever heard from. So my, um, you know, quest to find out what happened to him over these last 50 years has really turned into my own personal mission. You know, people say, Dan, you've done so much. How can you still keep it up? And there are still some, you know, um, avenues I have yet to, you know, follow. And and yeah. that's kind of what I'd like to do. But let me um, first, before maybe talking about the present and the future, you know, this whole situation with writing the memoir that many many of your listeners may know that memoir is really a challenging genre to write within mainly because it relies on an individual's unique perception and their memory you know and so the story that i chose to write i say it's mostly truth part fiction based on a true story because The fictional part is because I didn't have all of the firsthand experience or the information I needed. Um, and, and so I had to imagine what my brother went through in Vietnam and what he actually went through, you know, after his, he was probably home for at least six months or so uh, before he went out, out yep. west. Yep. Um, 
And then the other thing that I think about in terms of memoir that makes it challenging is it's not just, I mean, um, if, if people ask me, I'll say, you know, maybe start with just writing down some important, you know, pivotal moments in your life or memories that you have, yep. you know, yep. but it is you end up with then is just this hodgepodge of memories, you know? So <laughs> what you have to try to do is, um, you know, Mind use those vignettes in such a way as And in such a way as to what did you was, cut out. Yeah, I, I use the story structure of a cross-country trip. Yep. So, you know, it starts out with, and that's fictional, my mom passes away. She leaves me a key to a storage compartment. I open up gotcha. this garage door and here's my brother's 66 GTO convertible, you know, sitting flat yep. on, on four tires. And I start the um, uh, glove compartment and I hear it took you long to get, it took you long enough to get here, Danny. So yep. I start a <laughs> conversation with really the spirit of my brother. And, mm -hmm. and that's really how I've tried to interweave, um, you know, those true accounts of Rich and I growing up. And, um, yep. you know, my mom was a single parent. Uh, she left my dad and we moved from North Jersey to the Jersey Shore. And she was, she had five kids, a single parent. She was a waitress. I don't know how she did it, you yep. know, but um, we have these, you know, actual stories that occurred um, between Rich and I, and, um, you know, I still find in rereading some of those, you know, I get a whole lot of satisfaction, you know, from that. Um, and, and, uh, often people will say, well, did you really, uh, find a journal and, and, you know, in right. starting this conversation with Rich, he kind of eggs me on saying, Right. That's how he, he was four years old. He was always, you know, <laughs> you know pushing me <laughs> along. And so it's like, look in the trunk. So I look in the trunk and here's all kinds of info. I find right. his Bible. That was fictional. Right. I find a journal and yep. I find, a, you know, like a road atlas where he had yep. traced his cross-country trip. I mean, really, for all I know, he and he and some of those people may have driven straight through right. to Corrales, but the odd thing is that was in 70 when he disappeared in December. Well, in the summer of 72, um, my wife and I, when we were at college, we took a cross country trip. You know, we started in Florida, went up to New Jersey where I lived and then headed out West. And so I had a journal that I had kept from the summer of 72 and I use some of that to calculate, you know, well, how far are you going to go in, a, in an eight hour day, you know? Right. And then what were some of the significant stops along the way? And, you know, uh, we went to several, maybe half a dozen national, far, um, national parks. But uh -huh. I, I had to think, well, Rich was, con you know, considered a hippie and hippies wouldn't have gone to see Mount Rushmore the way my wife and I did. They would have gone to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. So I had him doing some things <laughs> at the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, you know, and in San Francisco, you know, uh, yep. actually seeing, you know, whatever it was, uh, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead. Uh, <laughs> and I basically drove through, you know, the yep. Haight-Ashbury District. So 
So I was trying to, you know, look at the world and think of, you know, what my brother was doing, because what he was really doing, you know, was trying to cope. You know, there, there weren't a whole right. lot of counseling services available to soldiers. Right. And I think he was coping and, you know, some of it, you know, was not uh, positive with some of the drugs that, you know, he was right. taking. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think that, you know, he was doing, you know, the best he could to to deal with whatever he had gone through, you know. Yeah. Um, and so um, the other part. So if I could shift a little bit to where I'm at right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And and then the future. So um, one thing that I found when I published the book, and that was in May, on May 1st, uh, 2016, um, that was actually my brother's um, 69th birthday. And I had set a goal to publish it, you know, on his birthday. No kidding. Um, uh, yeah, well, that, well, I didn't set it three years before, I, as I was getting closer. You yeah, know, yeah. Of course. After you've been, you know, writing for three plus years, people are like, so when are you going to get done with this? You know? <laughs> but hmm. I found... So you had a- Yep. Yeah, I found I found that by participating in a writer's group, it was really tremendous in terms of a motivation um, and feedback on, you know, what um, chapters I would write and share. Um, and um, and then also part of the whole editing process, you know, uh-huh. so um, so I, I got through with that um, on May 1st and I thought, OK, now I'm done with it. You know, I, I put a story out there. Well, wouldn't you know it? What I, what I found was it triggered a series of circumstances that kind of launched me on a whole nother journey to uh, recommit. Um, I call it the after effect. And so as I was writing the story, I was doing certain things and I didn't get all the information back before I published. Uh-huh. Um, and one thing, for instance, uh, there was a, so my brother went out there with a guy, Ken, uh-huh. he had a sister, Mary Ellen, that was a year ahead of me in high school. And, and I, I ended up talking with her, not just in passing, where that's how I was from time to time. But I said, I need to ask her some serious questions, you know, and, uh-huh. you know, she, uh, she told me she had visited twice. She told me there were some nine other people other than Rich that were there. And I, jotted down every name. And then I, I, I sought to try to talk with them, you know, uh-huh. but then the other thing that happened was um, my wife's nephew, his name is Larry Hochberg. He's a TV producer. He read my story and gave me a call and said, well, you know, Dan, if you had additional resources, would you want to continue to pursue what became your brother? And my answer was certainly, and, and so that started kind of um, an effort at trying to pull together some information to see if um, a production company might be interested in, in my story. And that's kind of taken a whole other, you know, tack on its own. But, but what it did more importantly is it gave me someone else to kind of speak with about, you know, some of these things I was uncovering. So Larry was really fundamental in getting me to another level. Like for instance, one of the things I did was I had filed a missing persons case, you know, 46 years later with the Albuquerque um, FBI. 
Yeah. And after talking to Larry uh, a while later, I heard back from a, a, a agent, uh, Parker, and she said to me, you know, normally we don't share personal information because of the Privacy Act. But she said, because it's been almost 50 years, I can tell you, your brother was a on June 2nd, 1970. So now oh. I had a bit of information. Wow. So then I was, you know, we didn't know about D other than the postcard. So I'm thinking, well, that, you know, they used to go over the Albuquerque and the University <laughs> of New Mexico, Albuquerque campus to take a shower in the gym, if you can believe that. <laughs> and, and my, my, my hypothesis was, or my, yeah, was that Rich must have met D at the university. She decided to drop out, which she did. And then the end of the semester, it's time now to go home to St. Louis. And what uh -huh. Rich did was he followed her. So, so, so in talking to Larry, he says, Dan, if he got arrested, you should be able to get an arrest report. And that was like a big aha as well from Larry. Mm -hmm. So I wrote and to the St. Louis, uh, you know, police, and I get a call back saying, no, he didn't get arrested in the St. Louis, the city. He got arrested in the county of St. Louis. So I had to send it out again. And wow. the, other, the other thing that, you know, this whole search process has, you know, told me is my mantra is no immediate miracles. You know, I, I think sometimes that I'm going to get to a point where, okay, now it's going to become real clear. And, yep. it, you know, it isn't quite. But anyhow, I get this 10 page um, arrest report where they go into information uh, and I won't spend too much time on that, but but basically it was a sting operation that Dee's dad pulled together. And I don't blame him. You know, if if my 19-year-old daughter came home with somebody who was, gotcha. I think Rich was 22, 23, he yep. looked a little like Charles Manson. You know, <laughs> his eyes, the beard, the hair. Yep. And, and in the 1970s, you know, anything having to do with Charles Manson People were like, right. hey, this is a cult. Yeah. And, and so what I later came to find out, because I ended up, uh, Larry again helped me track down D with just the first name. No Because this, this woman, Pat, who is, has been the number one source of information, she lived there and she married the fella, Ken, that my brother went out there with. And yep. she's remained out there. And um, she's become my number one source of information. But I, I sometimes call her my reluctant witness. So in other <laughs> words, she won't like come right out and tell me. It's almost like oh, when I said to her, gee, I get this arrest report. Rich was and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He and this other guy, Ken Gill, was a black guy that also lived at the commune that went with Rich. They were both arrested. She's like, yeah, they were in jail and we used to write to them. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say this in the first place? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it turns out that, you know, the next day after getting arrested, the judge says um, it's like a $2,500 bail. And in 1970, you, you could buy a car for $2,500. So yes. Yes. Rich yes. and Ken ended up in the St. Louis County Jail 
And here's the sad thing that I, I found out again from Pat, because she's still in touch with this guy, Ken Gill. He kind of lives right on the peripheral, you know, they're almost like out in the desert. Uh -huh. But uh, what my brother was released after six months on December 17th, Ken Gill ended up spending another six months in jail. And the only reason was because he was black, which wow. is a real sad commentary, you know, but that was, I know my yeah. brother didn't say, I just got back from Vietnam. You know, he didn't think of himself. He thought of himself as, as being, you know, yep. Yep. a flower child, whatever. So, so, um, you know, these things are still kind of unfolding as I, um, you know, uh, peel the onion back, you know, layer upon exactly. layer. Yeah. Now, and, uh, let, yep. you, you've had, you've had your own career um, in the midst of all this as an, and as, and excuse me. Is that correct? I'm sorry. The, the word, um, I didn't hear the word as what? As an administrator? Yeah. I spent most of my career as a community college administrator in New Jersey. I kind of left, went to private industry, then actually went back in more of a leadership role. Yeah. And yeah. Do, did you find that your quest, let's call it that, right. continued throughout your professional career? Yes. Yeah, so I would say within the first five years of my brother's disappearance, um, you know, now this is before the internet in the seventies. Right. And I can remember sitting down with my mom, I had printed up a hundred um, letters and a hundred, almost like a little cold case information on my brother. Uh -huh. And, and I, I purchased um, labels to over a hundred men in, in the country who shared my brother's name. No kidding. And, and we labeled these and stuffed it and, and then, you know, sent them out. And, you know, I heard back from a couple of people. It was basically, gee, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, but I'm not him, you know? Yep, yep. Um, and, and that's kind of what I did. Now, and yeah. Find yourself motivated personally through your own sense of loss, through your um, interest in satisfying your mother's grief, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. So, Where do you think you know, the motivation came from? Right. Well, uh, there's someone, because uh, I was in a couple of different, I was in a writer's group for three, over three years, and then I was in another group from time to time at a local Gloucester Writer's Center. They would do, um, you know, um, workshops. And so right um, someone from a workshop group who also is a counselor says to me at some point, he goes, well, you know what, Dan, have you ever thought that your dad abandoned you? I mean, my mom moved away from a bad situation, but we never really, at the time, he was a deadbeat dad, you know, we never heard from him. Right. So he basically says, your father abandoned you, and now yep. your brother, who you looked up to, abandoned you, you know? And I'm like, well, gee, I never thought of it like that, you know? Right. Right. Um, but but then the other thing I do think about, because and, and you know, I, I was in a family of five. I was the only one in my family ever to go to uh, college. I think my mom, you know, was happy that her kids got out of high school. Right. You know, right, right. and uh -huh. and a there was a local community college in Tom's River. Uh -huh. um, and that's how I started. And um, 
I got an associate degree, went on for a bachelor's. And then I actually, because I was very involved um, as a student at the community college, and I ended up getting a, a job, uh, entry-level job within uh, the student life office. And um, the first thing my boss says to me is, Dan, if you really want to make some, uh, you know, uh, have a career in higher ed, you need to get a master's degree. I said, well, gee, I thought I got a bachelor's and that way, you know, I just finished. <laughs> so uh -huh. I, I ended up going for three years to Rutgers University, you know, a couple of classes each semester. And it turned out that my boss left within five years and I finished my master's degree within five. So I, I qualified for the director role and, and I was in that for some time. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I think about, and then it wasn't really until my 50s that I decided yes. to go for a doctoral degree, which, you know, my daughter got the biggest kick out of it because my son right. was in high school, my daughter was in college, <laughs> and she's like, oh, dad, you're going back to college, you know? And so did uh, you pick up a real, uh, what do you say, a real um, focus for more research to your brother? from education yeah i think what it was you know how life gets in the way yes you know and there were times when i i just you know i i did a number of things you know looking to try to find out you know what happened to my brother but for some reason it never occurred to me you know to try to find out who was with him and talk to those people so i was blind to that but you know i did some other things and i had a accordion file and I remember just putting it in the bottom of the closet and saying hey you know what someday this is it I I can't you know what else can I do you know and yep. so it wasn't until we really uh you know uh, retired yep. and moved uh, up to New England and and it was in the winter because at this time of year we're pretty busy with guests <laughs> I'm sure but, um, yep. yeah so and, and the coincidence that just in the next town over, I, I heard about this Gloucester Writer Center. Okay. So what I did was every Monday, I'm sorry, the first Monday of every month, they have an open mic program. Uh -huh. So I heard about that and I wrote something about my brother's disappearance and it was more like an essay. Yep. And, and I chose to, they give you five to seven minutes. You just show up and, and sign up and you can have five to seven minutes to speak publicly. So I spoke, you know, what I had written and a couple of people afterwards said, well, have you ever thought about, you know, writing some more and, and creating the story? And I, I really hadn't at that time, but, you know, I, I, I got motivated to write something new, have something new prepared for the next month's open mic. How cool. So that's yeah. kind of how I, I really got started. And then I learned about this writer's group that the Writer Center had sponsored uh -huh. and I joined them. And then I also participated in some of the Writer Center um, workshops. And what, you know, uh, I guess there's this, <laughs> I participated in so many Writer Center events. <laughs> they asked me to join the board uh -huh. So I joined the board and then three years later, oh, Dan, do you want to be president? It's like, well, not really, but <laughs> so I was president of the board for a couple of years and we were able to, uh, you know, write a strategic plan and, you know, oh, kind right. of move them in a, in a, hopefully a positive direction, you know? Um, so 
what uh, I wonder if your listeners have any idea that Amazon in the last two weeks just announced a new service they're providing. It's called Kindle Vela, V-E-L-L-A. So if you go to your Kindle app, you'll see there's a whole new area where you can look within Kindle Vela to find serialized episodes that authors are writing. So it's one, cha- one chapter or one episode at a time. And it's kind of neat. Uh, you can, it can be as little as 500 words a episode, or I think up to 3,000 or something. So it's a, the idea of serializing you know, a story. And wow, so that's, that's really what um, yeah. I've been doing lately. Um, I'm looking more at what have I done? What have I learned you know, early on about my search? But uh, two falls ago, uh, my wife and I went out to Albuquerque um, and um, the Pat Krupa, this woman that has been my main contact, she kind of gave me a little tour of a Corrales. And then we went to this area beside the Rio Grande where Rich was last, you know, seen. And, um, you know, it, it, it helped to, you know, anchor, you know, kind of the reality of what the life that he was living, living, as well as, you know, where he may have, uh, you know, where he was when he, uh, when he was last seen. And, and I'd say, you know, cause the other question people often ask, well, have you, you know, come to peace with things or have you reached closure? And, and I'd say the closest I've come to any closure is when I, I walked along that Rio Grande river, there was an area known as North Beach. So the, the river is meandering. And when it comes to the one side, you know, is where you get the sand and then the other side, not, and then, you know, it meanders. Yeah. And it, it was called North Beach. And it was kind of a little bluff. And um, when I stood there beside the river, cause it was a wilderness area, um, I really had this thought. It just occurred to me, it said, I, I, you know, maybe I heard my brother tell me that this would be a magnificent place to die. Wow. And maybe my brother was telling me if that's what happened, you know, it, it isn't such a bad thing. You know, here is a guy coming back from war, all this conflict, you yep. know, I don't know what he experienced, yep. but I know it was profound. And, yep. you know, here he's trying to deal with it. And, and if, because that area, you know, there was no, no house to be seen and it was really isolated and just so, you know, like wilderness purity. Yeah. And so, you know, that was the closest I've come. But in saying that, while I was in Albuquerque, I stopped by this huge, huge facility um, right on the interstate, which is the New Mexico Department of Investigative uh, Medical Investigation. And I have a contact there now um, that basically said, if you can get uh, dental records or fingerprint records, we can, tr- you know, use those right. to compare them within yep. our database of yep. uh, missing persons. And then the other thing that I I did when I was writing the book, but again, I ra- ran into a roadblock. Um, There's a group called NAMUS. It's the National unidentified and missing persons database. And I wanted to submit my brother's case um, back when I was writing the book, but they said they were no longer accepting 
you know, cases for whatever yeah, yeah, reason. Yeah. Yep. Then six months ago, I did it again. And within a few weeks, I get uh, an email from, I think his name was Driscoll. And he basically said, if you get a open missing persons case for your brother in Sandoval County, New Mexico, then that can connect to NAMIS and he would send me a DNA, DNA kit to check their database. So Fantastic. again, now here's a, another challenge. So now I'm, I, I wrote to the sheriff, I wrote to uh, the lieutenant, I wrote, and then I finally see in the Sandolful Sheriff's Office, there's this administrator. And I, I said, this administrative person is going to respond. And what do you know what she did? Wow. So you're often <laughs> so, again. Yeah. So she set up the case mm -hmm. and it automatically linked to NAMIS. And I think the idea is I can't go out and say, I'm establishing a missing persons case because I'm related. Right. So they want, if anyone knows of anything, they're going to be contacted the Sandoval Sheriff's Office, you know, legitimate. And so, so now I send back a note to Driscoll saying, hey, we've got this lined up. Can you send me the DNA kit? And he says, well, you know what? We're waiting for funding from the federal government. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, listen, Dan. Anyhow. I so that's, that's where, where I'm at with a couple of those things that fantastic. are still to be done. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I trust that your wife is in full support of all your activities. Yeah. Yeah. She is. She actually has been the first line of defense for me as far as uh, an editor. And then your friend, Sandra Williams, was my official editor. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Well, yeah. she speaks so highly of you. Oh. Uh, She's great. Totally enjoyed reading the book. It brought back a whole lot of memories for me in as much as I have, I'm familiar with, with Seaside. Oh, right. You know, and Seaside Park. And my husband and I, my husband was a Vietnam vet, and we oh. spent five years in uh, Colorado. And so in the early 70s, when you were, uh, recalling some of your brother's experiences. So it was a real trip down memory lane for oh, me. Good. But I thank you very much for sharing so very much useful information for our writers and our listeners today. And I wish you the best in your journey. And I hope we'll keep in touch that you continue to let me know what's yeah, happening. For sure. Well, okay. thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Uh, you know, honoring Absolutely. me with this opportunity. It was wonderful. Thank you so very well, much, Dan. All righty. Well, Great thank you. Story. Take care now. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Be Inspired podcast. If you enjoyed the Be Inspired podcast, please subscribe to be notified of new episodes. This podcast can be found on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Anchor, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And we welcome you to suggest people, projects, and perceptions that inspire you. What the world needs now is inspiration. Contact me, Jane Stahl, at studiobbb.org or stop by Studio B. More information can be found in the episode notes. We are eager to meet you and learn what it is you love. This is the end of today's episode. 
and I hope you find your way today to be inspired.